Welcome to 20% Time, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Titan, a web consultancy based out of Chicago, but entirely remote with employees across North America. We specialize in Laravel, a PHP framework, but we're often pairing that with any number of JavaScript frameworks, libraries, and all sorts of other tools. This week, though, we're not so much talking about the technical side of things as we are talking about really kind of life as a dev. Uh, I'm joined this week by Centoria, uh, a programmer at Titan. I almost forgot to introduce myself. My name's Dave Picking. Hopefully, if you listen to the episodes by now, you know that. Uh, but more importantly, this week, I'm joined by Centoria. Uh, Centoria, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. So for people who don't know you, who haven't met you at Laracon or anything like that, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, let's see. I started at Titan as an apprentice developer back in late 2017 uh, and been working here ever since as a dev. Um, don't really have much dev history before that. Pretty much a professional paper troll before that, and now I'm a dev. <laughs> professional paper troll—that's a good one. Um, I, I assume it's I much better it being a dev now. Um, I won't. It had its it had its good so good moments, but yeah, it's much nicer being a dev. So this week, uh, you wanted to come on the show because you wanted to talk about uh, imposter syndrome. And uh, maybe even more specifically, I think the term you used was self-fulfilling imposter syndrome. So, oh, sorry, you were going to say? Oh, no, I just said, yep. So let's start at square one. I think all of us or most of us have heard the phrase imposter syndrome, but how do you define it? So for me, imposter syndrome is just no matter how much experience you may have um, at doing something, you just always kind of have this feeling that you aren't really as qualified as people may think you are to do that thing. Um, and that, you know, literally, as it says, you're just an imposter and that everyone's going to find out the truth. And uh, then once they're, you know, once they find out what a fraud you are, then jig is up basically. And then what happens? Like if the jig is up, like how does, what's the next step there? What do you mean? What are your, what does your brain think is going to yeah, happen? Yeah. What does your brain think is going to happen? Yeah. Uh, in my case, um, that really no one will take me seriously anymore. In my case as a dev, uh, that I will no longer be able to work as a dev um, or that um, I might be fired or uh, that people will think badly um, of me um, as both a, you know, black and a female developer, just kind of like, Oh, this is proof that she shouldn't have been hired as a dev ever, which probably I should have waited to say until later in the show, but (laughs) But this conversation is going to go in all sorts of directions. No need to apologize. <laughs> when did you first identify that you had, or that you, you know, when did you first identify that you feel that you had imposter syndrome? Probably the first time I ever felt it was when I went to college the first go around. Mm. Um, I signed up uh, in, for computer science um, and immediately felt that I was out of my depth, that every other kid knew what they were doing and that I had no clue what was going on and that I, as a result, I wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, and it's in many ways kind of persisted since then in different ways. But when you signed up for that class, did you have, uh, like, did you take, you know, classes in high school or anything like that? Or were you really just, Hey, this sounds interesting. I want to take this class. Uh, no, that was really it. Um, I, that was part of the imposter syndrome was that um, I heard a lot of the students in my classes talking about, Oh, you know, when I was in high school, I did this and this and all this computer related stuff. And I had never had any of that. Um, You know, 
Um, I had one computer and my dad told me that if I broke it, that was it. And I would never have another one. So, so I just felt like I was really lacking in uh, some of the experience that the other students had. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my feeling, but I went into it primarily because I wanted to work into computers, but, uh, with computers, excuse me. But also I was in, uh, Navy ROTC at the time and pretty much to be in that you had to be in a STEM field. So. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that you were in Navy ROTC. Yeah, it lasted about a year before I'd noped out of that. (laughs) (laughs) So you're in Navy ROTC and uh, one of the requirements or whether it's a requirement or or heavily preferred, but you felt like, hey, I need to get involved in the STEM field in some kind and and you're interested in computer science. And so you you show up at this class and was the, so I'm going to sort of Maybe golf script here a bit, but uh, were you think you know was the assumption by your professor or by your TA that if you show up to a class like that in college that you already maybe were like a self proclaimed computer nerd in high school that maybe you were a hobbyist or was that sort of an assumption that they made? Uh, depends on the teacher. Yeah. Some definitely no. Um, some definitely yes. Um, they did expect a certain amount of computer savviness, and I and I did have some. I won't say I was you know no, I wasn't a complete fellas none, but. <laughs> you weren't a total um, noob. You were, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I felt like there was a baseline that was kind of established. Maybe not necessarily by the professor, but by the professor kind of bouncing off of what he, they perceived that the students knew already. Hmm. So um, yeah, that was kind of um, that was a little difficult for me, especially since I had never really had difficulty with anything before. And so it was just suddenly having to to try, basically, that was really difficult for me, uh, which sounds really condescending. But no, and that was I mean, the truth. I think all of us have all of us, all of us who've gone to college. At some point, you get to a class where you're um, you're like, oh, all of a sudden, I can't just coast, or I can't just, you know, it's like, oh, what's going on here? But it it, it sounds as though and. Uh, Correct me if I'm sort of getting the impression wrong, but it sounds like it's a combination. Sounds like it was a combination of that, but also, you know, you're looking around and here's everybody else who's either not struggling or not appearing to struggle, and mm-hmm. and you're and you're comparing yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So the phrase that you used uh, when we were talking, you know, about uh, doing this episode together is self fulfilling imposter syndrome. What do you mean by self fulfilling imposter syndrome? Um. So, at least for me, so when I was starting off. Um, as a dev, um, and actually in my computer science program, because I felt like I was an imposter, um, I felt like I had to do it all myself, and then I couldn't ask people for help lest they see how dumb I am. And because I never asked for help, I never felt like I could, um, I would fail the coursework, um, which kind of like created this sort of feedback loop where it's like, I failed, and so because I failed, I feel even worse about myself and then I fail again because I try, you know, harder to just try and get it by myself. Um, And it just kind of ends up being this kind of endless cycle of never asking for help and then failing and then feeling worse about yourself. And so then at that point, you've kind of, you've kind of made, you know, the failure sort of becomes real and it wasn't a failure because you were incapable at the beginning. It's a failure because, you know, of the pride of not wanting to ask, reach out and ask people for for help. So basically, you causing your own failure. And you're comparing your experiences to what 
people are showing on the outside, right? What they're presenting to the world. So you might not, you probably had no idea if they were or weren't asking for help or, you know, maybe they were, they had, you know, somebody who, you know, they knew who had taken the class before and they're getting help or they had some sort of resource or some sort of network to fall back on. And you're comparing, um, you're comparing all everything that you're feeling to, oh, well, they got it. They're not struggling. So it's got to be mm-hmm. me, right? Yeah, it was that. And I mean, there were students who had study groups and things like that. Um, but I guess shyness also came into mm. play with that. Um, a lot of students would be like, hey, do you want to come study with us? And so just kind of like that self, you know, sabotaging. I was like, well, they're going to be in the study groups and they're going to know, like they already know like even if they don't know the thing that we're working on, they have these, you know, these sort of basics down that I probably don't know. So, you know, I'm just going to, they're going to see how behind I am. And um, then it's, you know, so it's like, I need to figure out these basics before I can study with these other students to, you know, make sure that I'm on their level. So far we've talked about imposter syndrome and how you sort of first identified it uh, working. I'm not working, but I'm sorry, but uh, when you were taking classes in, in, in college, you talked uh, previously made a, a reference to your job where you were uh, pa- you were a paper pusher. Did you feel <laughs> imposter syndrome in that job? Uh, no, actually, not at all. Mm. Um, it was much easier to sort of figure out what my role was because I had a clearly defined role. The tasks were very, um, you know, they were very black and white. You know, get all the students graduated by this date. <laughs> make sure that all the degrees are posted by this date. Here is a list of all the steps that you have to follow to get these students graduated. Here's the steps that you need to follow to, you know, make sure that their theses are properly evaluated. Um, and that was my role as a as the master's thesis advisor um, before I was an academic advisor or excuse me, an admissions advisor. And it was sort of the same thing. A student has to have these criteria in order to be admitted. Um, we expect this paperwork from the department. They have to have this GPA. They have to come from this school that meets this requirements. It was all very clear. Like there was really no wiggle room. It was either mm. yes or it was no. So you make the jump from being a paper pusher to coming to work at Titan. Mm-hmm. Um, did you immediately feel like an imposter when you started at Titan? Was it something that happened over time or do you oh, not feel immediate. like an imposter? Immediate- okay. <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely immediately. Um, Maybe I shouldn't broadcast this, but we're being very I, honest here. And I, but I just want to say, I really appreciate your honesty, by the way. I, well, I figured there's no point in not being honest about it hmm. um, because it doesn't serve anyone if I'm not honest about it. Um, but yeah, I actually had no idea about Titan's reputation when I started at Titan. I just knew it as this great company to work for that took care of its employees. And I was like, that sounds like a great place to work for. Um, And, you know, I'm starting out as an apprentice and then I come and I find out that Titan has this amazing reputation, that there are so many people who I perceived as being more qualified to work here. It's like, oh God, oh God, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, what have I done? Why am I here? Um, So, yeah, so it started immediately. Um, And then, you know, Ironically, even though I was hired as a as an apprentice developer, I felt the need to prove I couldn't, you know, ask certain questions of the the you know the full developers because I was like, they're gonna see how stupid I am and they're gonna be like, why did they hire this person? Which is ridiculous now that I look back on it. But that that's how brains work. 
So uh, I might sound like a, a company shill here, but I would like to think <laughs> that we can talk openly about imposter syndrome at Titan. I mean, we're doing this podcast, right? But but maybe I'm wrong. So I'll ask you this: what has been what what has been your experience discussing imposter syndrome? With uh, it could be at Titan, it could be elsewhere, it could be in some other context. But what has it been like talking to people about imposter syndrome? It depends on the person. Um, there have been certain people at Titan that I have felt very comfortable talking about imposter syndrome with. Um, but actually I don't think it was until we announced this episode that I had really kind of opened up about it, you know, to everyone in the company. Um, though I'm, I don't doubt for a second that everyone kind of knew about it already. So, um, well, I think, I think for a lot, I think, so for me, I think imposter syndrome isn't necessarily a, a yes or no, right. I feel I'm, maybe I'm projecting, but I feel like all of us at some, like, have felt like an imposter in some way at some time, right? Do you think is it is it? Do you see it as a sliding scale as well? Oh like, yeah, I yeah. think everyone does. Um, it's just I think one of the hardest things about me, um, or one of the hardest things for me, excuse me, as I've kind of made my way through the company, is like I finally learned this thing, and then everyone else is already on the next thing, and so people, so you know, people would feel imposter syndrome about things that I hadn't even like like levels that I hadn't even reached yet. Hmm. So I couldn't, even though I was aware that they were feeling imposter syndrome, um, I felt that, you know, they, they're already so much better than me. So, you know, I, I couldn't really take their feelings of imposter syndrome to heart because I was like, well, you all are already this good. I'm not <laughs> even that good yet. So. Yeah, it's tricky, right? Comparing comparing like levels of imposterness, right? Or at the center, mm -hmm. probably not even a good, good word to use, but it, it's hard because on the one hand, like, how do you, yeah, I don't even know how you compare that, right? I guess the only thing you can do, and this is what, it, I mean, it sounds like you, you're doing as we're having this conversation is, is to just, you know, have empathy for the person and acknowledging that, yeah, we all feel, we all feel that at some way, in some way or another, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. I definitely, one of the, like the biggest things for me, um, is like seeing Matt talk about, you know, on his, on his streams where he's like, you're going to see me, you know, be an idiot for like an hour on a stream. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> or like, you know, um, our, so Titan has a, the pair with me channel. Yeah. Like seeing, you know, other devs. Um, and I respect all of Titan's devs. Um, and I'm just like seeing all these people who, you know, I respect, like, can someone pair with me on this? Cause I don't know if I'm being dumb or if it's, you know, or, you know, I just can't figure this out. So just kind of seeing that has helped me become more comfortable with my own imposter syndrome. Um, and also just pairing with people on things um, because I have found more often than not when I have been afraid to pair with someone on something um, and like finally sort of giving in and asking for help. It has almost invariably been either something that I wasn't expected to know in the first place or something that was actually way more complex than I thought it was. Mm. So so that was just kind of something that was kind of really interesting for me. Like I definitely remember, I think it was Andrew that I was pairing on something with. And uh, we ended up on the call for like an hour and a half or two hours because it was just a lot to it. So and and yeah. here you were thinking, oh, this is something silly and small I'm missing, but it turns out, mm -hmm. no, actually, it was way bigger and way harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's and yeah, all of those things have definitely sort of contributed to making me feel more comfortable. 
And it still hasn't completely gone away. Like, I don't know that it ever will, but I've definitely become more comfortable with recognizing my imposter syndrome and kind of reaching out despite it. Yeah, I was just going to ask, what what do you think it takes to start addressing, or I don't know if address is the word I want to use, but let's say you acknowledge that you, or you think that you sort of recognize in yourself that you have imposter syndrome. Is there like a first step that you think people need to take, or is the first step just acknowledging it and being open about it? Is it asking for help? Is it, you know, are there things that you recommend people do? Basically, um, I I think the first step definitely is acknowledging it, um, and not necessarily in the sense of like screaming it from the hills, <laughs> but just, <laughs> um, but just um, being honest with yourself, like, you know, whenever you're feeling like, I think like the first time you have that thought. Where it's like everyone gets this but me or, you know, everyone understands this for me or but me. And, you know, why don't I understand this? You know, that's kind of like the first hints for me that like, hey, you know, you're kind of being hard on yourself. Um, you're starting to feel that imposter syndrome. And then from there, just especially if you find someone who you can trust and who you um, respect. Um, you know, talking to them about it, because um, as I said, like, that's been like one of the biggest things for me is like seeing all these devs that I, you know, respect and admire so greatly, like reaching out and asking for help and speaking to them, you know, like directly about concerns that I have or things I don't understand. That's helped a lot towards making me feel better because it's like, okay, you know, they either struggle with this thing too, or they have struggled with this thing. Um, and it's not unexpected for someone to struggle with this thing. So, and then um, the next step is, you know, once you have, and I feel like kind of a hypocrite saying this because I still am, you know, I'm still, I still avoid doing this. But if you recognize someone else feeling imposter syndrome or needing to learn something or not getting something, just kind of reach out to them. Um, I think, especially in tech, there's just sort of perception that there's a certain base level that you should know. Um, which sort of contributes to imposter syndrome because none of us are born knowing any of these things. Yeah. I feel like I got way off track there. No, no, that's good because <laughs> I was going to ask. So like, there's, how do you, what do you do about it on a personal level? But you know, there are, there's, there's other levels to it as well, right? There's, you just talked about like, if you see your coworker uh, who you think is struggling with it, you talk about reaching out to them, but like, are there things that not on a personal level, but more like on a systemic level or on a like company-wide level, are there things that like you think could be that companies or even just an individual like manager or boss or whatever can can do to help their employees or help their other coworkers who might have imposter syndrome? Is it, you know, like you, you called out Titan has like a, a channel called Pair With Me. Like there's little things like that, but, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I just didn't want people to think like, oh, it's all on me to solve this problem because then that almost kind of feeds that imposter syndrome. Yeah. You need it. You need people you need a network mm -hmm. right are there so sorry i'm rambling and no, explaining my question but you know do you think there are are things that companies or even teams can do um definitely the sort of um you know i i guess there's the whole no stupid question sort of thing mm. um just sort of making sure that they're that the company understands that there is really no expectation of like what a person should know it's like for i, I guess you know if you're going to be hired as a mid-dev you should probably know what a function is but um but um just as a whole uh, because you know at titan we're all 
we all specialize in different things. Um, and so one of the greatest things for me was, or one of the, the most troubling things for me would be going to Reddit and seeing someone ask for help or Stack Overflow and seeing as someone ask for help. And the response is basically being like, why don't you understand this? You're an idiot. Go look it up. Um, and, and Titan, you know, making sure that that culture doesn't exist making sure that if someone asks a question that, you know, you as either as a leader or as the company owners are doing what you can to foster that sort of um, that sort of culture where people can feel comfortable asking things and knowing that no one's going to respond back and be like, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just making sure that you kind of foster that, that kind of gentle nur- nurturing culture within your company, I think is a huge step um, in making sure that giving people the opportunity to not only feel comfortable sharing their weaknesses, but feel comfortable sharing their strengths as well. Um, because, you know, a big part of imposter syndrome is feeling that you're not, at least in my case, feeling that you're not good at anything. Mm. <laughs> um, and so those opportunities that you have to show, hey, I know things. Hey, you know, I'm not a complete failure. Um, not that anyone is a incomplete failure. <laughs> um but, you know, showing that you do know things, that you are capable, that you're able to contribute to conversations um, and to help people that you thought were kind of unapproachable, like unapproachable in their grandness right. um, is a it's a huge part, at least for me, it was. Yeah. One one thing that is interesting about like talk, like getting to know people or having the opportunity to work with people who you see as like, oh, they're a leader in this industry or they're like really well known. There's like a demystification that happens at some point when you realize, oh, they're they're human just like me, right? They mm-hmm. might screw up. They might have to ask for a question. They might forget something that should be something that they'd never forget because we're we're humans and that all happens. That, that I think that's something that happens in all walks of life, right? Like mm-hmm. the, to me, the more you're exposed to how to like sort of the different levels of whether it's your organization or the different levels of like your industry, the more you realize yeah, I can talk with them. Even if like they might have more skill in a particular thing, like you can, they can always learn from you and you can always learn from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's definitely been a good part. That's also like a good part of Laricon is like, you know, once again, meeting these sort of inapproachably, you know, like amazing people and like seeing all these people who I only see at Twitter and being like, wow, that person's so smart. And just kind of seeing that they are just a normal person dude or dudette you know um and that's granted you know people aren't going to necessarily broadcast on twitter their you know their concerns or their um their sort of i hate to use the word but their sort of shortcomings Mm. um i can't think of another word right now weaknesses there we go that's a better (laughs) word (laughs) um so they aren't necessarily going to do that on twitter but even just the the sort of ability to just talk with that person candidly um, is a huge help. Yeah. I mean, most of us on, whether it's, you know, Twitter, or Instagram, really just social media in general, most of us aren't exactly, you know, showing all aspects of life, right? Like there's a bit mm-hmm. of curation to that. And if your interaction mm-hmm. with people in your field is, oh, I just see them talk about the awesome stuff online, then that, that contributes to it as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason I'm not really on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, some days uh, that's that's definitely the move. You don't want to be like uh, me who wakes up and you start scrolling through Twitter and then you just get sad. 
I, I used to be like that. And yeah. then um, I was promptly told to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bad for mental health in many ways. And I'm just going to end that in that tangent there. Um, since that's a, it's an easy way to go off into crazy land. We've talked about imposter syndrome so far as mostly sort of in the professional realm of things. Do you see imposter syndrome as something that pops up elsewhere in your life? Oh, absolutely. So, um, if you're willing just, to talk about it, I mean, no, we don't have to fine. get too personal. No, 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 it's fine. Just like, like, so I have a lot of hobbies. Um, and two of my favorite ones are calligraphy and Japanese studies. And I remember my brother used to say that when he would um, talk to me, talk to people about me, he would say, oh, she's fluent in Japanese. And I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm not fluent in Japanese. Hold up. And he's like, but you are fluent in Japanese. I was like, no, no. Like, what if I go to a convention like with a bunch of doctors and they're like talking about medical stuff? I'm not going to understand them. And he's like, can you do that in English? And I'm like, no, Mm. but that's not the point. And so things like that, or, you know, in the case of calligraphy, um, I actually think it was Marge that I was talking about. Um, I was comparing my calligraphy to this man named um, Michael Soul. So he's this very established calligrapher. And I was like, his calligraphy is so much better than mine. And she was like, how long has he been doing this? And I was like, I don't know, about 40 or 50 years. And she was like, are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's just sort of looking back on how ridiculous that is. Like that man has been doing calligraphy longer than I've been alive. Mm. How can I compare myself to him? Um, But I think that's the other part of it is that when you feel imposter syndrome, especially if you're feeling it, you know, with something that you just started um, or something that you've only been doing a short amount of time, not only are you sort of, you know, you're sort of degrading yourself you're also degrading all of the hours that that person has put into their craft Mm. you know it's it's insulting to think that you know and you know i think at that point i was doing calligraphy for six months like it's insulting to think that after six months i should be as good as someone who's been doing calligraphy for 40 or 50 years like it's ridiculous so um and it's the same thing like if you are new to development you know you can't compare yourself to someone who's been doing development you know two years or four years or 20 years we all have to and the, oh god i hate that we're gonna have to learn to walk before we can run i hate stupid meaningless things like that but in that case it's kind of appropriate i love that phrase <laughs> <laughs> i feel i feel like there's like these these little pithy quotes that like i know why they exist but ever like when you say them everyone just kind of rolls their eyes and they're like yeah sure like you know um the same thing with like with regard to imposter syndrome in general, like you're comparing your behind the scenes to everyone else's, you know, you know, performance and not seeing like their rehearsals um, and all the hard work they've gone to behind the scenes to get to where they are. Um, I have avoided saying that, but I'm like, well, I'm throwing out the pithy quotes, might as well throw out another one. <laughs> do you think that as a, you could say this for yourself, this could be more broadly, but do you think that one can ever really get over imposter syndrome or is it more like this is just something that we all have to work on every day um i don't i think it depends on the person um in my case i don't think i ever will but i think the key is not necessarily not feeling it the key is acting in spite of it um 
doing your best and asking for help in spite of that sort of fear that you have. Um, because oftentimes you, uh, it's not as bad as you think it is. Um, and you know, once you just sort of get started, uh, and get over that fear, it just becomes infinitely easier. So that's been my sort of thing. Um, I don't think I'll ever not feel it, but just learning to act anyway, uh, that'll get you 90% of the way there. So that's, that's the end of the questions that I had for you. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about, or that we didn't talk about that you would want someone who's listening to this to know about? Um, just that if you feel imposter syndrome, it's okay. Like we said, most everyone does. Um, and you will be okay despite, you know, despite it. Um, and if it's something that you love doing, just keep working at it and you'll get to, you know, just be a little bit better than you were yesterday is the phrase that I used that I've heard a lot at Titan. Um, because then you can look back and see how far you've come because it's almost impossible to see um, where you are while you're mid journey. That was really well put. I, I can't, I can't go any further than that. That was great. Um, <laughs> Centoria, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. This has been great. And um, yeah, that's it for now. All right. Thank you.